It would have been easy for John, the apostle who wrote this gospel, to leave this story out. Because the gospel of John has really strong themes in it, light and darkness, seeing and not seeing. And one of them is belief and unbelief. In the gospel of John, the way that you show Jesus that you love him is by believing him, by trusting him, by putting it all on the line for him. Belief is how you love Jesus. So it would have been really tempting for John to say, I'm going to leave out that story about Thomas, because what he really is demonstrating there is kind of counter my whole thesis in my book. (laughs) But he leaves it in. And I think that John left it in because he knew that the things that he he was writing were pretty unbelievable. They were pretty crazy stuff. A man born blind gets healed and A Samaritan woman is reconciled to her people and more healings go on and more offensives to the Jewish leaders and the raising of Lazarus, like. So John leaves this story in and he leaves it in as a gift to anyone who's ever had a moment of reading the gospel or hearing the gospel or trying to live as a follower of Jesus Christ and said, Some of this stuff just doesn't quite fit. Because this story is really a gift. Thomas has been given a bad rap through the years, but the truth is, he was a very smart, very brave, very loyal disciple. You may remember before Easter when we preached on the story of Jesus and Lazarus, and there's this little verse there, remember? Jesus is talking about going back to Jerusalem and the disciples say to him, do you really want to go back there? Because that was not good space for you. Those are not your people. They want to kill you. you, Are you sure you want to go back? And you remember Jesus does this thing about like, when it's light, you go where it's light. And they're like, I don't know what that means. But it was about the idea when you're walking in God's will, you're always going to be fine in the sense of being in God's will is a fine place to be. And so he says, yeah, we're going to go back to Jerusalem. And what does Thomas say? Thomas, of all the disciples, Thomas is the one who says, let's go with him that we may die with him. Thomas says that. And in this story, as it begins, the disciples are together and Thomas isn't with them. Now they're all huddled together. The doors are locked because they are afraid. They're afraid of what's out there. The Jewish leaders are out there, people who don't, believe them are out there. People who would really like them killed are out there. You know where Thomas is? He's out there. He's out there. We don't know if he was like getting groceries for everybody. We don't know if he was checking on somebody's parents to be sure that they were okay. But in a time of great fear of everything that is out there, Thomas is the one who is out there. He's the one who's out in the city. So when he comes back and he sees this group of his friends who are sleep-starved and grief-stricken, and they come on him and they say, we've seen the Lord. He looks at them and he sees the bags under their eyes, and he knows they haven't slept, and he puts the groceries on the counter, kind of looks at them. He says, look, this, this vision... Whatever you saw, you know, I'm really glad that it was 
comforting for you, that it was helpful to you, that's really great. But guys, come on. Unless I see the wounds in his hand and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. Now Thomas was being incredibly logical here. Very logical. Because he knew what was out there. He knew that if this group of people suddenly left their room and started to say, Jesus showed up to us and said hello, their lives would be in danger. Thomas also grew up, as all the disciples did, in a culture where the wounds that you received over the course of your life left scars, right? An area that they didn't have stitches very well, they didn't have plastic surgery. If you got a, if you got a scar, it stayed a scar. So you could collect scars over the course of your life and be known by them. Oh, you'll know my cousin Reuben when you see him because, well, when we were kids, I, I threw a rock at his head and he's got this scar that kind of runs right here. That's, sorry about that. Well, you'll know my grandmother when you see her because when she was a little girl, she reached into a hot fire and, and part of her fingers are kind of fused together in a weird way from being burned. You'll, You'll know her when you see her. Thomas also had a nickname. Do you remember what Thomas's nickname was? The twin. The twin. Probably given that nickname because he was a twin. <laughs> right? Now, we have some twins around here, and you know that twins always get mistaken for the other twin. Even if they don't look the same. Are you Aaron or Ethan? Right? Are you Lindsay or Lauren? <laughs> right? It was, so Thomas, our dear Thomas, had spent his entire life going, no, 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 I, I'm Thomas. Timothy is my brother. No, I'm Tom. His entire life, people go, Timothy, 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 Thomas. Right? His whole life, he had grown up knowing that people can get the identities of people that they love wrong. And so because of these things, because he knew the danger that was out there, because he knew that the, the best way to tell who somebody was was by the scars in their hands, because he was a twin who had been misidentified for significant parts of his life, when he's faced with these beautiful people that he loves, telling him that they have seen the Lord, he very logically says, guys, let's just take a breath a minute. And they all say, well, you can't play with us anymore because you don't believe. You can't hang around here anymore. We don't, we don't want you here. If you can't believe us, well, then we don't want you. Wait, is that what happened? No. For a week, they stayed together. For a week, they keep doing the things. They eat the groceries that he brought. They pray together. They tell stories together. They tell him again and again, most likely, about what they saw, and he keeps going, I don't know. For a week. They don't kick out the one who doubts. They embrace him. He's part of them. He's part of their family. They don't know if Jesus is ever going to show up again. But this is what they know. They know that Thomas is a part of them. And even though he's, he's saying, guys, right now, I just really don't believe. They say, ah, it's okay. You're with us. They made it safe for somebody who didn't believe them. 
I think a lot of times we come into a worship space like this and we assume that everybody who's with us is believing everything that they're supposed to believe 100% of the time. 100% of the stuff, 100% of the time. We see somebody raise their hand in worship and we think, wow, that person's like all into it. Like they must really believe everything. Like doctrine of atonement, they got it down. <laughs> right? Or we see somebody and they're like taking notes and they're into the Bible and you're like, oh man, that person must really believe. And the temptation then, particularly in a Christian community, where it seems you get points if you express your faith or demonstrate it in a particular way. The temptation then in a Christian community is that if you're struggling with any kind of doubt, you just kind of hide it. And you don't tell anybody. You may not tell people that things like the ferry disaster or the shootings in Kabul or the disappearance of the plane or pick any one of a number of horrible things that have happened in the world really make you doubt the love and sovereignty of God. Maybe you don't say things like, when I found out that in the religion class that the Bible was put together over time by different people like voting on whether or not this was a gospel or this was a gospel, like that really shook my faith. Like how could the Bible be put together by human beings over time? That was very distressing to me. How do I put my faith in something like that? If you think, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a scientist. I, I look at data all the time and these narratives around creation have me stumped. How do these things go together? And for some of us, it's, you know what? My dad died. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that he wouldn't die. And he did. And I, I know God moves in mysterious ways, and, but I've had a really hard time believing ever since then. I think most people, most Christians, most believers, we run about an 80-20. I think, you know, 80% of the time we believe 80% of the stuff. And then 20% of the time, I'm talking over the course of your life, you struggle. And maybe you believe 20% of the stuff or 2% of the stuff. And for some of us, if we're really honest, the most we may ever be able to achieve is like 15%. Like, I'd really like to believe more, but... Whew. Like, maybe I can do the resurrection, but the whole Noah and the Ark thing is like... This spring, you may have seen in Calvin News that we offered a faith and doubt small group through campus ministries. And Pastor Amina led it. And she'll do it again. So if you missed it this time, don't worry. And she said it was one of the best parts of her week. Because she said the students who came into that group weren't trying to hide behind any ideas about what they were supposed to believe or not. They just came with their questions about free will and creation and the sovereignty of God and 
the injustice of the world. And they had these great conversations about things that really mattered. Because they all knew that they had to kind of figure this stuff out. They had to work at it together. Can we be a community where those conversations don't just have to happen in a little small group in campus ministries, but can happen anywhere at any time that you can say, I'm struggling? I came in on fire. I came in full of life. I came in full of faith. And man, it's been a hard year. Because all of us at some time or another are going to put up our hands and say, I'm doubting right now. I'm struggling right now. And then, as we see in Scripture, the role of the Christian community is to open our arms and say, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Come and sit down and eat and talk with us. And we see this, of course, not only from the friends of Thomas who embraced him and loved him and talked with him for a week after the event happened, but we also see it, of course, in the response of Jesus. How freaked out must Thomas have been when Jesus turned right to him and said, look, look. It's like, how did you know? He turns right to Thomas and he says, look, touch, look, stop doubting and believe. And there are people who see this as Jesus is being kind of snide to Thomas or being kind of mean or scolding like, hey, stop doubting and believe. Get on board. You made me come all the way back here and do my little show and tell for you. Now get on board. Does that sound like Jesus? Does it sound a lot more like Jesus like, oh, I gotta go see Thomas. Thomas has gotta know. Thomas has gotta know about the resurrection because if Thomas knows about the resurrection and if Thomas believes in the resurrection, it's gonna change Thomas' life. And Thomas is gonna be on fire. Thomas is gonna go and be a missionary. He's gonna do amazing things. I gotta find Thomas, I gotta find Thomas. I can't wait to find Thomas. Peace to you all. Look, 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 look. <laughs> Stop doubting and believe. I got plans for you, man. And then what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. Right? It's the only time in all of the Gospels that someone specifically names Jesus Christ as God. Not Messiah, not Son of God, God. Like straight up. Now, you remember how John begins. Some of you know the Gospel of John begins with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, was God. And the word became flesh. flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. So the word is Jesus, second person of the Trinity, God incarnate. The word becomes flesh. And at the end of the book, when Thomas sees the flesh, he speaks the word. God. My God. 
It's a full circle. The flesh is a significant marker pointing to the divinity in this case. Isn't that so cool? I love that. The flesh, the thing that would make us hang on Jesus and say he really wasn't God. This really wasn't legitimate. The flesh itself becomes a marker of his divinity. And that the flesh is alive again. My Lord and my God. And then Jesus says this. Blessed are those of you who have seen and believed. Blessed are those who won't see and still believe. And again here, some people have said, well, he's being a little snarky to Thomas again. Like he's saying, well, you know, you got to see and believe, but blessed are those who never see and they get to believe. But again, that doesn't sound like Jesus, right? What are his benediction phrases? What are his blessing words? What are his beatitudes about? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus' words of blessing are always for people who are on the journey, always for people who are struggling along, always for people who in the meanwhile, in the meantime, in the here and now, have it tough. Jesus blesses those people like, look, I know you got it tough. Jesus never blesses people by saying, blessed are you whose lives are always easy and wonderful. Blessed are you whose dreams always come true. No. Blessed are those of you who don't see, who don't touch, who don't get to hear. Blessed are you who don't see and still believe. It's Jesus' gift, just like the story of Thomas is a gift. Those words of blessing are a gift to us. That all of us who are on the bubble, all of us who are like, man, I wish I could see. Jesus is like, I know. Man, I wish I could touch your wounds. Jesus is like, I know. I know. And we could do a little spin out here into like, well, theologically, you're all the body of Christ. So when you touch each other, you're, and we're like, no. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, but no. <laughs> what we would give sometimes to actually see the resurrected Lord and to put our hand into his hand and to look him in the eye. Because I'm, I don't know about you, but I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of things I want to ask Jesus about. And I ask him about them all the time and don't always hear the answers the way I'd like or at all. Blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. There's no perfect way to be a Christian. There's no final exam you have to take and you have to get every answer right. Your scores are not cumulative. There can be stuff about theology that you and I will never understand. There's gonna be stuff 
about biblical narratives that you and I will never understand. Well, let me tell you what helps me in my seasons of doubt. What helps me is to know my Jesus. And when I get stuck, I read the Gospels. And I read them again and again and again. And when I get stuck, I tell people, I'm stuck right now. I need some help. And when I get unstuck, or unstuck a little bit more, I get to open my arms and say, oh man, you're stuck too? Come on. Oh yeah, I struggle with that. Come on, come on, come on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a club for doubters. It's called the church. And we're all just doing the best we can until that day when we will see our Lord face to face. And there are two really cool things that this story teaches us about our resurrected bodies. One of them is that apparently they are not bound by time and space, which is gonna be awesome. <laughs> and the second one is that Jesus is identifiable. Like they know him when they see him. They know even before there is any looking at his, they just know him when they see him. And I have full confidence that in our resurrected states, I'm going to be like, ah, I knew you guys. I knew you. And I know that when we see Jesus, even though we haven't known him in his physical space here on earth and in his incarnate form, we're going to know him. And even better than that, my brothers and sisters, he's going to know us. He's going to know the thing that you struggle with. And maybe it's not to look at his wounds. Maybe it's some articulation of theology. Maybe it's a description of something else. Maybe it's just to listen to your tears. But he's going to know you. And he's going to know in that moment what you need. And he's going to embrace you and say, blessed are you. Your Jesus knows you. He knows us. And tonight he blesses all of us who doubt. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you who have not seen and still believe. Because that's enough. That's enough. That's more than enough. Will you pray with me? God, there is so much about your story that we cannot comprehend. There's so much about the way you move in this world that is a riddle and a mystery and sometimes really painful. So we thank you for the gift of the story of Thomas and his friends. Thomas, who is willing to raise his hand and say, I don't believe, and his friends who are willing to open their arms and say, come on in. And Lord, in our lives, we're gonna have both postures. We're gonna raise our hands and we're gonna open our arms. And we're gonna do this until our Jesus comes back. 
and how we long for that day when our faith will be made sight. Until then, Jesus, hold us with your nail-pierced hands. Hold us tight. And for any here tonight who are just so struggling, Lord, help them to raise their hand, help them to talk about it, help them to ask good, hard questions, and help us to listen. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence today. In all of our lives, bring healing and mercy and call us evermore into living as people of resurrection for the Jesus who knows us. It's in his name that we pray and all God's people say, Amen. Amen.